eyes, my wife. <laughs> How many people? Yeah. I just want to take a poll this morning. How many of you predict that this is a boy in here? All right, all right. And how many say, no, this is girl number four? All right, all right, okay. We'll see who's right. It, it's kind of funny, you know, because people walk around and they go, I can tell that's a boy. Or I can tell that's a girl. You know, everyone just knows somehow, whether it's a feeling or the way, you know, she's caring or this or that. or yeah. It's just hilarious. We were over at, um, at a friend's house, uh, Sandy Schmidt, and, uh, and, and she says, oh, I know how you can tell. Just have her lay down. So she lays down, she ties a piece of string. You guys know what I'm talking about? Like she ties a string to her wedding ring and says, watch, if it goes back and forth, it's a boy. And if it goes in circles, it's a girl. I'm like, all right, go ahead. And she does it and it goes back and forth. She goes, it's a boy. I go, let me do it, you know. And so I hold the ring and it doesn't move at all. And, uh, and then she goes, okay, let my daughter do it. So her daughter comes and uh, she holds it over there and starts going in a circle. So I go, see, this is lame. This, this is lame. You know, you got three different answers. You know, and, and we all, it's kind of fun to, to try to predict things, right? It's kind of fun to just go, okay, see, I told you, I was right, or this or that, or, or to guess different things. And uh, it, it's funny, because last Friday, last Friday, I got in the office, and um, this book came in the mail to me from uh, Steve Farrar, just kind of randomly, it's, uh, it's, it's called What Every Son Wants and Needs from His Father. I thought, ah, oh, maybe that's a sign. You know, because you start looking at things, you go, oh, maybe God's trying to tell me something. Or you try to figure out the future from this or that. And, and I think we all kind of like to do that. We like to kind of play around with that stuff. And, and that, that's fine if it's all just a joke or no big deal. But what, when it gets dangerous is, is that so many people nowadays are trying to tell the future and are trying to speak in the name of God, saying, hey, God told me something. He said, this is going to happen, that's going to happen. And guys, it's, it's not okay to be casual about prophecy. Okay, as, as we're, we're talking about, I'm talking about the real stuff. It, it's not okay to make predictions in the name of God and to be wrong. And, and yet nowadays, I think you, you turn on the TV and all sorts of people are saying, hey, God predicted this, God predicted that, this is going to happen, this is going to happen tomorrow, this is going to happen a week from now. And if they're wrong, it's no big deal. They go, oh, okay, I was wrong. But now, and this one I'm really sure of, and you guys, biblically speaking, that was not allowed. Okay, you're not allowed to make false prophecies. In fact, in, in, in the biblical times, in Old Testament times, in uh, Deuteronomy chapter 18, it, it, it says that if, if anyone, Deuteronomy 18 verse 20, it says that if a prophet who presumes to speak in my name says anything that I didn't command him to say, or if a prophet speaks in the name of other gods, he must be put to death. And, he, and then they go, well, well, how do you know? How do you know when a message has not been spoken by the Lord? And in verse 22, he says, if what a prophet proclaims in the name of the Lord does not take place or come true, that is a message the Lord has not spoken. That prophet has spoken presumptuously. Do not be afraid of him. The Bible says, okay, this is the way you can tell that it's not of God. If anyone ever says something is going to happen and then it doesn't come true, you can know immediately that is not from God. And he says, put that person to death. That's how they dealt with it in that time. I, I bet you that really cut down on a lot of prophecies. You know, 
on people just casually going, hey, God told me something. Hey, this is going to happen or this is going to happen. Uh, because this was serious stuff. God didn't want people just, just running free, making prophecies and being wrong and saying that they did it in His name. It wasn't permitted. And honestly, I wish we could still apply that law today. I really do. Because then, then there wouldn't be this casual, cavalier attitude about speaking in the name of God and just saying, hey, God said this is going to happen. We need to get rid of that. I, I mean, honestly, if we could still apply this law, if this law had been in place a hundred years ago, uh, the major cults, the false religions of today wouldn't be around. Because, again, they were built on false prophecies. I mean, the Jehovah's Witnesses. So, you know, they're knocking on your door all the time, but you understand that? That whole thing was built on false prophecy. Back in 1874, Charles Taze Russell said that Christ appeared on the earth invisibly. I mean, you couldn't see him, but he set up his kingdom and said that he would return again visibly in 1914 to annihilate all of the wicked. And so all these people start flocking to this guy, you know, because he's saying 1914, I'm, I'm nailing, I'm naming the day. 1914, that's when it's going to happen. Christ is going to return and he's going to annihilate the wicked. Well, it didn't happen. And so then they predict, well, it was 1918, it's going to happen. When that didn't happen, they said 1925. When that didn't happen, they said that sometime in the 1940s it would take place. When it didn't happen, they said, well, 1975. And then again, they said, no, it was going to be 1994. You guys, I'm just saying that this is ridiculous. And yet, how many people still believe because we, 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 don't, treat ca- we, we don't treat prophecy with, with any reverence? We just say casually, well, I think this is true. And then we get all these followers. Ah, oh, sorry, I was wrong. Maybe this day, maybe this day, maybe this day. And I'm saying if we went by biblical standards, this, this religion would never exist. You know, same with Mormonism. Mormonism's the same way. Joseph Smith, in 1835, he predicted that Christ, he said Christ would return within 56 years. That was back in 1835. Joseph Smith, the founder of the Mormon church, this is how you get followers. You go, you know what? He's returning in the next 56 years. I don't know when, I just know it's within 56 years. You would think after the 56 years, okay, game over. You know, same with Jehovah's Witnesses but people still keep following. Do you realize that Joseph Smith made 64 prophecies? 64 prophecies. you know how many came true out of 64? Six. Six out of 64 came true and you're still going to follow? It was wrong in 58 accounts? Man, Joe's witnesses just keep on predicting these new dates and it's just off every time and you keep following. God says, man... If, if someone would say in my name, dare say, you know what, God told me this, this is when Christ will return, and it doesn't happen, he says, put that person to death. He doesn't say keep following him, keep listening, because that, that's your proof right there that it didn't come from me. Guys, this is serious stuff. You don't just make prophecies in the name of God and not have them come true. You know, unfortunately, in our day and age, there's no penalty for that, so people just keep following. But I'm just saying, I, I would think that... Uh, People would think about these things. They could say, God, He was so serious about prophecy. When you read the Old Testament, God says, this is how you know that I'm the real God. He's not saying, hey, believe in me because I'll give you a little feeling in your heart. Everyone's got a feeling in their heart for what they believe. He says, no, believe in me because I can tell the future. I'll tell you what's going to happen. I'll tell you things that will happen before they take place so that when they happen, you will believe. Jesus even said that. 
Because I'm telling you these things before they happen, so when they happen, you'll believe. See, God in the Old Testament, if you have your Bible, turn to Isaiah. Turn to Isaiah chapter 41. It's, it's all over the book of Isaiah. Uh, but I want to I look at a few passages before we get into Luke. Isaiah 41. Okay, let me give you some background here. Back then, it's like in a lot of third world countries right now, you know, there's still a lot of idol worship. And, uh, and back then, there was a ton of idol worship. People would worship these idols. And just so you know, you guys, this is my... I'm going to preach about this stuff, and, and, and I look at it, and I go, it's ridiculous. At the same time, you've got to know, this, this was my upbringing. When I, when I grew up in Hong Kong, first five years of my life, it was, it was in, in idol worship. I mean, I, I, my, I, I grew up in a temple, you know, with a bunch of monks. I kind of look like a monk. Huh? But, but, you know, I, I, I grew up with this, and, and, and some of my only childhood memories are, are speaking to statues and, and trying to talk and get some sort of answer from them. I mean, my, it, was a, it was a family business, you know, selling idols. It was a, my dad even pretend he'd be possessed by demons and tell the future to people and, and stuff like that. So, so this, is, this isn't a, just a joke to me. It's like, wow, you know, I, I had a lot of relatives still steeped in this stuff. But that's what was going on back then. And, and God makes some statements about this and about this idol worship. He doesn't go, hey, you know what? If they want to believe that, that's fine. No, what God says in Isaiah 41, verse 21, He says, present your case, says the Lord. Set forth your arguments, says Jacob's king. Bring in your idols, verse 22. Bring in your idols to tell us what's going to happen. Tell us what the former things were so that we may consider them and know their final outcome. Or declare to us the things to come. Tell us what the future holds so that we may know that you are God. Do something, whether good or bad, so that we will be dismayed and filled with fear. But you are less than nothing, and your works are utterly worthless. He who chooses you is detestable. God says, okay, you guys say there's a bunch of gods and these idols are God. He goes, why don't you do this? Why don't you bring them in and have them tell you the future? He goes, have them present a case. I'm open-minded. You know, if these are gods, have them tell me the future. But then he says, have them do anything, good or bad. Just have them do something. Even if it's a catastrophe or something wonderful, just have them do something so that we would know that they're gods. He goes, but the truth is, they can't do anything, can they? They can't tell you the future like I can. They can't do good or bad like I can. He says, therefore, I say that they're less than nothing. They're worthless and he says, whoever follows them, you're detestable. That's what God says. It's pretty harsh. He just says, look, you're going to follow that. You're going to follow that piece of wood. Bring that in and have him, have him tell me the future, if that's really God. You see, the thing about prophecy is it's concrete. That's why I like it. It's not just, oh, you're really committed to your faith. You're really committed to your beliefs or what you feel in your heart. No, you're nailing something to the day saying this is going to happen. So if it doesn't happen, I can write you off. You know, you can't write off someone's feelings. And everyone goes, no, I feel this is true, I feel this is true, and you're like, whatever. God says, do something. Okay, whatever you, you, were, you were raised with, and I know, you know, like, there's times when I, I, I see someone so committed to what they believe, it makes me think. You know, because I go, man, they sure are committed to it. They sure are committed to what they believe in. And it almost makes you doubt because you look at Christianity and you go, most Christians aren't as committed to Christ 
as this person is to this rock or this crystal or this, you know, false god. And you start to go, man, why are they so committed? And what God says is, look, it's not about the person. It's not about their followers. It's about who they follow and whether or not that God has actually ever done anything, ever told the future. He give me something concrete because everyone's got a feeling. He goes, but tell the future. Do something good or bad. Isaiah 42, if you turn the page, Isaiah 42, look at what God says in verse 8. This is a very important passage. Isaiah 42, verse 8, God says, I am the Lord... That's my name. I will not give my glory to another or my praise to idols. See, the former things have taken place and new things I declare. Before they spring into being, I announce them to you. God says, look, I'm God. I'm the Lord. That's my name and I'm not giving it to anyone else. He goes, I'm certainly not going to share my glory with another and certainly not with idols. See, this is important stuff. God is not a God who says, hey, just let everyone believe what they believe. He goes, no, because then, then I've got to share my glory with them. And that's why I go, oh, you know what, there's one God. I, there's no way, I would no way ever stand on this stage and tell you, you know what, you can worship God, the Father, you know, His Son, Jesus Christ, or you can worship, the, there's no chance. There's only one true God. He's not going to share the stage with anyone else. And he says, he goes, that's why I've told you these things in the past. He goes, that's why I told you the things before they happened, so when you saw them, you, you would know that I'm the true God. Turn, turn over a couple more pages. Look at Isaiah 44. Isaiah 44, verse 6. Isaiah 44, verse 6. It says this, This is what the Lord says, Israel's King and Redeemer, the Lord Almighty, I am the first and I am the last. Apart from me, there is no God. Who then is like me? Let him proclaim it. Let him declare and lay out before me what has happened since I established my ancient people and what is yet to come. Yes, let him foretell what will come. Do not tremble. Do not be afraid. Did I not proclaim this and foretell it long ago? You're my witnesses. Is there any God besides me? No. There's no other rock. I know not one. He just makes it so clear. He goes, well, who's like me? Who are you going to compare me to? You're going to tell me there's other gods? There are no other gods. There's not one like me. If there is, have him tell the future like I do. Have him declare it. Show me his track record that he's been able to show all the things in the past like I have. He goes, but there's no God. There's no God. It's just me. And I, I, I tell you, you know, that it's so popular nowadays to say there are many ways to God and there are many gods and we're all kind of worshiping the same one. And he says, no way. Don't you stand for that. People say, well, there are many holy books. And I go, show me one. Show me any book on this earth besides the Holy Bible that has ever predicted the future and had it come true with 100% accuracy. Just show me one. Okay, before you go and say, oh, you know, you're, you're so judgmental or this or that. Or... No, no, just, just show me one. Just like God says, from, from the beginning of time, he just says, you know what? If you say that I can do something, bring it in. Have him tell me the future. You see, prophecy is very important because it's concrete. I, I'm not trusting in some blind faith up here. I kind of feel it because a friend in high school told me about it and he seemed like a cool guy. It's not about that. It's about, no, I, I, can, I can sit down with you and nail down some facts that I go, this doesn't make sense any other way. How in the world did this guy know this 600 years ago? I look at the nation of Israel today and go, 
I, I just don't get it. How could all of this have been known? How, it, all this stuff, man, it's just laid out. And you just have to go, there is no book like this one. I know not of one. And, and you know what? I know this sounds harsh to some of you, but all other religions are false. There's only one true God. There's only one true book, and that's the Bible. And, and those who know me know, man, I, I, I'm pretty casual about everything. You just go, hey, what do you want to eat? I don't care. What do you want to do? That? I don't care. It's it just, I don't care. I don't care about a whole lot of stuff. But this, I'll die for it. If you want to hold a gun to my head and, and make me say that there's another God, I'll say, no way. Kill me. I'll die for this one. Because God defends his glory. He's serious about it because I'm not sharing my glory. And I say, you know what? I'm right there with you. I, I, you, don't need to, you don't need to share your glory. You're the only true God. You're the only one that has any, any proof, anything concrete behind him. See, God, when he speaks about himself, man, it's, he's serious about defending himself. And he doesn't, he's not worried about being politically correct or being sensitive and not hurting another person's feelings. When he's talking about the idols, look, look later in chapter 44, okay? He's talking about these idols in chapter 44 that we're just reading, but look at verse 16. He's talking about the guy who, who cuts down the tree and, and makes the idol, and, and look what he says about him. Let's see if this is sensitive to you. Isaiah 44, verse 16. Half of the wood he burns in the fire. Over it he prepares his meal, he roasts his meat, he eats his fill. He also warms himself and says, Ah, I'm warm. I see the fire. And then from the rest of the tree, he makes a god. His idol, he bows down to it and worships. He prays to it and says, Save me. You're my god. They know nothing. They understand nothing. Their eyes are plastered over so they cannot see. Their minds closed so they cannot understand. He says, No one stops to think. No one has the knowledge or understanding to say, gee, half of it I used for fuel. I even baked bread over its coals. I roasted meat and I ate. Shall I make a detestable thing from what's left? And shall I bow down to a block of wood? God says, does anyone even think? He goes, are you telling me it never even enters your mind that you took a tree, you used half of it to make your dinner and keep yourself warm, and you thought, I got a brilliant idea. I'll bow down to the rest of it and say, you're my God. He goes, you're a genius. He goes, does anyone ever stop to think the reasoning behind that, the making of an idol? Does that sound very politically correct and sensitive there? No, he's just saying, no, you don't do that to me. You don't put that block of wood on the same level as me, Almighty God. He goes, I'm the Lord. That's my name. And I'm not sharing that with anyone. And if you're going to tell me there's another religion that's true, that there's another holy book, give me some proof. Give me some evidence. Show me some prophecy. But don't just give me this feeling stuff. Because anyone can do that. God says, I'm the only one. I don't know of another God. Before me there was no God formed, and after me there shall be none after me. He's it. And you guys, well, we need to defend that. We need to defend that. And I'm, I'm all for, you know what, we need to be loving, absolutely loving. But at the same time, we've got to share the truth and say, look, what you're believing isn't going to save you. Um, there's only one true God. There's no fact. There's, no, there's nothing concrete behind what you believe. And we need to tear down some of the false religions and show that. 
Look, I, I'm, not, I'm not one to just be a jerk just for the sake of being a jerk. You know, how, how some people just want to fight about everything and, and, and they're just annoying. And, and sometimes we think as Christians it's our job to annoy people. You know, and, and no, seriously, people go, oh, yeah, I was, you know, some people come to me and go, oh, I did this at work. Oh, it annoyed everyone. And I did it, you know, and they, they're annoyed at me because I'm a Christian. And I go, no, they're annoyed at you because you're annoying. You know, it, it doesn't have anything to do with Christ, you know, that's just your personality. You know, but, you know, and, and not to do it just to annoy people. Sometimes we feel proud, like, oh, I made this guy mad. No, but, but there are times when, in the most loving way, you've got to stand for what is true. You've you got to have some backbone and say, no, I'll stand for this, God. I'm sorry. I, I see what you believe, but I, it doesn't make any sense to me because I've got something here with something concrete. It's called prophecy, and it lays it out. That was a big reason why I believed. Man, I grew up pretty skeptical of things. And when I got in high school and I was challenged with this book, I looked at the prophecy, and it was the prophecy that I said, you know, that, that doesn't make any sense unless this is from God. And I don't find that in any other book. I find nothing but false prophecies. Anyways, um, Jesus here in Luke 21 starts prophesying, and he starts telling the future. He talks about the future of Jerusalem. And here, let me explain why. Okay, he's already talked about this, in, uh, in Luke chapter 13 and again in, verse in, in chapter 19, he talks about the destruction of Jerusalem. He's predicting, he's prophesying the destruction of Jerusalem. Now this, you know, when Jesus prophesies this, it's, you know, in the early 30s, you know, 30 AD, not, not 1930s, in the 30s. And, 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 in, and all this stuff takes place about 40 years later, in AD 7, when the, when the, the Roman Empire comes in and destroys Jerusalem. But he's already predicted it. And the reason why he, Luke records this again is a couple of reasons. One, Jesus is getting ready to die here. He's about ready to go to the cross. We're going to be studying the crucifixion soon. And a lot of people, though, at this time are thinking that Jesus was there at the temple to set up his kingdom. That the Messiah now was going to inhabit the kingdom and overthrow the government and set everything up. And the disciples saying, wow, we're going to be with him. We're going to reign with him. We're taking over the world. Because that is prophesied in the Old Testament. And Jesus explains that's at the second coming. But, but he, right now he's about to die. So he's explained those things. But also, the people, they wanted signs because they wanted to know when the world was going to end as they knew it. Okay? And here's the reasoning behind it. And we do this today. People want to know, is there a sign so I know the world's going to end soon? Why do people want that sign? So that we can live however we want, and then once we see the sign, we go, okay, Christ is coming. Okay, I'm going to get everything together. I'm repenting. I'm busy. I'm serving at the church now. Okay, now you can come. You know, we want to know. And you guys, honestly, we're really not that different nowadays. Uh, for example, I've been going to the inner city on Wednesdays for, for this last semester, and, and I love it. I, I love the honesty. I mean, it breaks my heart, but there's honesty. As I've been talking to different people about Jesus and talking about giving their lives to the Lord, they're real. They go, you know what? I do believe it, but honestly, there's a lot of things I want to do right now that that book says is wrong. And so I'm going to go do all those things first, and then when I'm older, I'll follow Jesus. You know, this whole idea, and a lot of people have that mentality of, you know, I hear kids say that, well, maybe one of my parents' age, you know, and there's nothing else fun to do. I'll, I'll, uh, then I'll start going to church, then I'll follow Jesus. But for now, I've got a lot of stuff I want to do. 
You know, I, I talk to couples who, who aren't married yet, and they go, well, we're going to get baptized, but we're sleeping together, and so we're going to wait till we're married, then we'll get baptized. You know, well, I'm going to keep sinning and just kind of put it off. I, and we've had couples in our own church that have said, you know what, I, I want to get up, I want to get baptized, I want to give my life to the Lord, but I, I can't stand my wife, so I'm going to divorce her first, then I'll become a Christian, because I know God doesn't really like divorce. And so let me do this. Let me, let me commit my sins. Let me do these things because, honestly, it's hard following this book. Man, it is so hard following the commands of this book. And so if there's some way, if we could put it off and say, well, let me just sin and just do everything I feel like doing every moment, and then right before I'm going to die, you know, maybe if I get sick, then I'll give my life to the Lord. You know, once I know death is soon or Christ is coming soon, then I'll do it. See, that's that whole mentality, and Jesus gets rid of that, and he says, listen, there's not going to be some signal to you as to when I'm coming. I'm going to come like a thief, like a thief in the middle of the night where you're asleep, you don't even know what's going on. He says, you just better be ready. He says, I'm not going to give you some sign to where it's going to clue you off, and you're just going to know, oh, the temple's destroyed, Christ is coming, hurry. He says, that's not going to happen. In the same way, in the same way, that's why people die at different times in their lives. You know? What, what if we all, you know, people go, well, if there were a God... Why didn't he make it so we all died at 100? If we all died at 100, what would we all do? <laughs> yeah, do whatever we wanted until we're 99. You know? It, it, it's, but no, we, the Bible says your life's a vapor. You don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. And he also says, I'm going to come like a thief in the night. You don't know when I'm going to return. You better just be ready. You just better live like there's no tomorrow. And, and, you know, here he explains these signs and he explains, look, even when you see the destruction of Jerusalem, it doesn't mean it's over. Okay? These aren't signs of my return. Verse 5 of of Luke 21. That is a long intro. But um, Luke 21, verse 5, it says, Some of his disciples were remarking about how the temple was adorned with these beautiful stones and with gifts dedicated to God. But Jesus says, As for what you see here, the time will come when not one stone will be left on another, and every one of them will be thrown down. Okay, they're at the temple. You guys, this temple was gorgeous. Okay, how many of you, has anyone in this room, how many of you have been to Israel? All right, a few of you. All of you in that corner. <laughs> That's really weird. Okay, let's go on a trip together. Um, but uh, if you went to Jerusalem, I don't know if you, you ever, see, there's, there's part of one of the walls that's still staying. Not of the temple, but one of the outer walls. And even that's amazing. If you go to the western wall, there's this tunnel you can take. And they'll take you underground to where some of those original stones were, just of this wall. And you guys, some of these stones are 70 feet long. Okay, 70 feet. I, I'm guessing the stage is about that. What do you think? I don't know, I didn't really, I should have measured it this morning. But, but about 70 feet, right? Say yeah, okay. Anyways, it's about, I'm just trying to give some sort of frame of reference. You've got a stone 70 feet long, stones, 70 feet long, about 10 feet wide, and about 8 feet high. One stone. And these are stacked on top of each other. You guys, even today, we have no way of doing that. With all of our, ti- with all our machinery, our largest cranes could never move something that heavy into place. You know, and a lot of times we look at the people back then and go, oh, those cavemen, you know, what did they know? What did they build? You know, no, we look at some of those structures and we go, 
we couldn't build that today. We have no idea how they move these stones. It, it, it's awesome. And, and so these disciples, they're here marveling. I mean, they got to see the, the temple itself. And every, I can only imagine, I'm just looking at this one rock, and I'm just sitting there going, you know, how'd they do that? Just one stone on the wall, much less this whole temple. And, 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 and they're marveling it, and Jesus says, you know what? This place is going down. He says, there's not going to be one stone left on another. You've got to understand, we read that and we go, oh yeah, of course, because 40 years later, the, the Romans destroyed it. And it's just a fact of history. But if you're living in that day, man, this was like an, a, such an improbable prophecy to say this thing's going down and that it's going to be destroyed, that it stood for so long. And yet, sure enough, and the amazing thing about it is, I've shared this before, is that sure enough, the Romans did come in took down the temple, they, they burned the whole city. And what happened was all of the gold and all these jewels, you know, the, all the gold got melted in the fire and burned into the rocks, into the stone. And so what Titus did, okay? Everything okay out there? Steve, why don't you go check on it? Tell him to be quiet. Anyways, um, well, what happened was, okay, so what did I say? The, did I tell you the melted? Okay, the gold melted. Okay, Titus. What Titus did was he had his soldiers fill their chariots with stone and then just run over all of the stones back and forth, back and forth, and trample it down, sift it down so that then the, once it was all powdered, they could sift through it and get the gold out. And so when Jesus said, hey, not one stone's going to be left on top of another, not only was not one stone left on top of another, it was all ground to powder in order to recover this gold. You guys, I mean, I don't think Titus, who was Christianity, was, was going, let's help Jesus fulfill his prophecy. No, no, you know, it's just, he's just saying, man, all this valuable gold, let's just ground it to the ground and let's get this stuff out of here. And when Jesus prophesies something, every time it happens. Now, now the disciples, they ask the question in verse 7, they go, teacher, and i got I to hurry. Teacher, they ask, when will these things happen and what will be the sign that they're about to take place? Again, they want to know the sign. They want to know, hey, how am I know this is going to happen? I want to know the sign because they're thinking the assumption is is when the temple is destroyed, maybe that's the beginning of the end of the world. Maybe that's the end times. And so Jesus says in the next verse, verse 8, he replies, he goes, watch out that you're not deceived. For many will come in my name claiming, I am he, and the time is near. Do not follow them. When you hear of wars and revolutions, do not be frightened. These things must happen first, but the end will not come right away. Okay? So Jesus says, okay, when, the, when all this happens, he goes, don't listen to people. See, a lot of people go, hey, I thought Jesus was supposed to return after the destruction of Jerusalem. No, he said the exact opposite. He said these things are going to happen, but the end is not going to come right away. He goes, so during that time, if anyone says, hey, look, I'm the Christ, and if you study first century history, you see that in the first century, many people, after the destruction of Jerusalem, they were running around going, hey, I'm the Christ, follow me, follow me, and people were dumb enough to follow, when Jesus said, hey, don't go after that. That's not the end, okay? There's not a simple sign that's going to tell you it's the end. You just have to be ready. Verse 10, then he says, nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, There'll be great earthquakes, famines, pestilences in various places, fearful events, great signs from heaven. He says, all this stuff you're going to see, 
You're going to see earthquakes. You're going to see famines. You're going to see you know, all sorts of fearful events, catastrophes. You'll see things in the sky that will freak you out. See, a lot of times we go, gosh, if there's these catastrophes, how could there be a God? God predicted them. He said these things. I, I, would, I would question God's existence if there weren't famines and wars and, and natural disasters. Because he promised me these things would take place. Anyways, and what he does is he warns the disciples. He says, look, it's not going to be this, this great thing. I'm going to return and everything's under control. He goes, in fact, on the contrary, you're going to be persecuted. Okay, not only am I not going to the temple right now to take over the world, but I'm going to die for you and you guys are going to be persecuted. Do you still want to follow me? I love what Jesus does because he tells his followers, look, if you're going to follow me, this isn't going to be easy. And sometimes we leave that out of modern evangelism. And I understand because we want our friends to believe in Jesus, right? So we try to make it as easy as possible and go, oh, it's been great for me. You know, I just go to church, I made a bunch of friends, you know, and this way you die, you go to heaven. Yeah, it's just, it's perfect. You know, we don't want to tell them, you know, and honestly, it stinks sometimes, man. It, it's hard, you know, you, you're standing up for this God and everyone's listening to you thinking you're this total lunatic thinking you're this harsh, judgmental, fire and brimstone, one way to heaven, you know, just, just a, a jerk of a guy, you know. I, I talked to people last night, you know, one gal said, oh, I just needed this, you know. I left uh, Mormonism and now my whole family doesn't talk to me anymore, but I know this is true, I studied it. You know, and, and it, it's just hard, it's, it's, it's painful, and sometimes we don't bring up that side, about how hard it is to resist our temptation, our sin. But Jesus is, right, is, you know, right out in the open and tells the disciples, you still want to follow? This is going to be hard. There's going to be some persecution coming. Well, listen to what he says. Imagine if, if God said this to you right now. Verse 12. Before all this, they're going to lay hands on you and they're going to persecute you. They're going to deliver you to synagogues and prisons. You'll be brought before kings, governors, and all on account of my name. And this will result in your being witnesses to them. But make up your mind not to worry beforehand how you defend yourselves. For I'll give you the words and wisdom that none of your adversaries will be able to resist or contradict. You'll be betrayed even by parents, brothers, relatives, and friends. And they'll put some of you to death. And all men will hate you because of me. But not a hair of your head will perish. By standing firm, you'll gain life. What if Jesus walked in the room and said that to you right now? Let's say he walked in this room and said, listen... The time's coming. We're coming towards the end here. And honestly, you guys have enjoyed America and the freedom, but Christianity's going to get tough. In fact, you guys, you guys in this room, this very room right now, are going to be persecuted. People are going to come, they're going to beat the heck out of you. Stick you in prisons. Your own family members will do this because you don't understand how harsh it's going to be. Your own family members are going to betray you and have some of you put to death. But stand firm. And not one hair of your head is going to perish. Because by standing firm, you're going to gain life. At the end of this thing, you're going to see, you're going to experience life like never before. That's real life. See, it's interesting because he says, you know, you're going to be put to death, but then he says, not one hair on your head will perish. See, because the real me, yeah, this body, this shell that I live in, yeah, that could die but me, no, no one can touch me. The real immaterial part of me. Because Jesus says, whoever, who's, well, it's the first verse we memorize. 
As Christians, whosoever believes in me shall never perish. There's no end to me. But, but if he says that and explains what's about to go on, do you still follow and say, even if my whole family turns against me and I got beat to death, I'll stand firm because I believe these words so, so much. You see, it's prophecy that allows us to believe this. Because he's been right about everything else, we go, okay, I'm going to live this out. You see, even the next part, this, uh, this, 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 this is his warning, and we'll close with this, starting verse 20. He, he gives them a, some practical instructions here. He says in verse 20, When you see Jerusalem being surrounded by armies, you'll know that its desolation is near. So then, let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let those in the city get out. Let those in the country not enter the city. For this is the time of punishment and fulfillment of all that's been written. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. There will be great distress in the land and wrath against this people. They will fall by the sword and will be taken as prisoners to all the nations. Jerusalem will be trampled on by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. You know, I'm not going to have time to get into the times of the Gentiles. I'll talk about that next time. But Jesus just tells him, look, Jerusalem's going down. The city's going down. Okay, it'd be like him saying, hey, you guys, Simi Valley's about to go down. I'm like, what? What are you talking about? Simi Valley? Everyone loves Simi Valley. You know, this is the safest city in the world. You know, whatever. It's, It's that whole idea. And so what he's warning them there in Jerusalem, he says, you know what? When you see the armies around, get out of here. I'm just warning you. Because he's saying, look, there's been ordained, there's been predetermined a time when God's wrath is going to be poured out upon the city and that time's coming up. So when you see the armies around this place, don't, go, don't stay there. He goes, flee. He goes, it's going to be horrible. Man, it's horrible. If you're, if you're pregnant, you're nursing, whatever. I mean, it's just going to be a miserable time. Just get out of the city. If you're already out of the city and you're in Judea, run to the mountains. And if you're near the city, don't go in it. If you're in the city, get out. Just, just go. Because the city's going down. Now, I guarantee you this is what happened. There were some people who listened to Jesus' words and said, okay, there's the armies. I'm out of here. And I bet you there were other people that said, come on, God's not going to pour His wrath out on Jerusalem. I'm going to stay here by the temple. It's been safe. This temple isn't going down. And they stayed there. Because you see, and, and, and the city was destroyed and those people were destroyed with it. Jesus was warning them. And you guys, here, here's my point. The exact same thing is happening right now. God has warned us and He has told us, listen, there's a judgment coming. And some of us are wise enough to say, well, I want to I flee from that judgment then. But others will sit around and go, come on, God's going to pour His wrath out on the world and He has this place called hell for all the bad people. You know, I go, well, you know what? He's been right about everything else. Every time, I mean, look at history. Every time He said He was going to pour His wrath out on a place, He did it. Even when he said he was going to flood the whole world, he did it. And so my mind says, well, he was right about that. He's right about Jerusalem. He's right about... I just go, you know what? He's probably right about the end also. And he says in the end that everyone here, that it's appointed for a man to die once and then comes judgment. He's prophesying, saying, you will die. And you are going to face judgment. 
And we're going to stand before this God and we're guilty. We've all broken His commands. We're guilty of that. And He says, you know what comes next? I punish you for it. And there are people who will say, I don't believe that. I'm a good person. And He says, no, you better run from this. He says, there's one place you can run. And that's to the cross. You see, the only way you can escape God's judgment is if you truly believe, and this is the only way, is if you truly believe that God sent His Son, Jesus, to die on a cross. And on that cross, Jesus was taking the wrath for you. And you've got a choice. This was God's warning to you and saying, man, you don't want to be a part of it. Flee that. And some of you today are going, no, I don't believe He's going to punish me. I've lived a pretty good life. I know someone who's a lot worse than I am. And you feel safety in that. And But the rest of us, we're going to say, no, I'm going to flee my punishment. I'm going to flee the wrath of God and I'm going to run to the cross, and I'm going to accept Him as my Lord and Savior, and I'm going to live my life following Him. And that's what we do every week, every weekend, you know, every service. You know, people come, they get baptized. They're saying, you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm diving in that water. I'm diving into Jesus Christ. I'm running to the cross. I'm following Him for the rest of my life. And you guys, we don't preach this stuff to like freak people out or this or that. We, we preach this stuff because we care and because Jesus gives us as a warning, just like He was warning the people in Jerusalem I'm warning you, you're not going to get to heaven any other way. You're not going to escape God's wrath any other way. You can run to your temple or whatever you think is going to save you, and it's not. God says it's going down, and the only safety is in the cross. You see, I, I believe this. I, I believe this wholeheartedly. I believe that when I die, I'm going to heaven. And because, really, isn't this whole book of prophecy? Really, it's all prophecy when you think about it. That's why this is so important. Because like when Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and then all these things will be added unto you. He says, look, if you seek Me first, and you seek My righteousness first, He goes, then I'm going to take care of all your, your physical needs. You'll, you'll have food on the table. You'll have clothes to wear. You'll, you'll, you'll have somewhere to live. You know what? Just, just seek Me first. That's prophecy. It really is. Because He's saying, look, if you do this, this will happen in your future. And I trust that. I believe that. Why? Because he's been right about everything else. Okay, even, even right now, we're about to take an offering right now, right? We're going to take an offering, and all the offering, none of it's going to Cornerstone. All of the money is going to the poor. It's going to the poor in Africa and, and in South America. Now, now, in doing that, listen, why do, why do we do this? Do we get anything out of it? You know, it's, it's Proverbs, Proverbs 28, verse 27 says this, He who gives to the poor will lack nothing. I take that as prophecy. God says, you give to the poor, you're not going to lack anything. So I read that, and I take it literally. I just go, okay, please, let's, let's keep giving to the poor. God promises, it doesn't matter how much I give to the poor, I'm not going to lack anything, as long as I'm concerned about the poor. And, and, and then it goes on, he says, but he who closes his eyes to them receives many curses. And I go, hey, let's not do that. You know, let's not, let's not close our eyes to what's going on around the world and the people who are poor because I don't, I don't want the curses. But God says, you know what, as long as I look after the poor, I'm cool. So I don't worry, you know, just, just give as much as you want. You know, I just tell my wife, you know, well, just write another check. It's not going to hurt us because God has already prophesied that as long as I look after the poor, I'm okay. You see, because even as a church, I could worry. Okay, now, it's not just individually, it's as a church. Because I could go, gosh, we're going to give the whole offering to the poor? Man, you know, there's so many things we want to do as a church. And I just go, you know what? I, I can't worry about it. 
long as we as a church keep caring for the poor, we'll be fine. We'll be totally fine. You know, I could, I could do next week's offering too. I did the next five offerings. You know, whatever. You take care of the poor and, and we're not going to lack anything. I just really believe these words. And so our priority is, you know what, there's people out there that are hurting. This is true Christianity. This is living it out. And, uh, you know, and we can trust it because we trust the prophecies of God. Um, but some of you, maybe, maybe you've never uh, trusted God with your life. You've never given your life to the Lord. And today you go, you know what? I've been putting it off, but I realize, you know what? I don't know if I have tomorrow. I want to follow Jesus today. I want to be sure. And you want to get baptized today. And we'll, we'll have some, I'll be over there. You can pray with me as the worship team comes up. Um, we'll baptize you today. Um, but let's bow for a word of prayer before we take this offering.